Welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and on this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to take a closer look at how human bodies and minds work, getting specifically into what's going on with sleep and how willpower works today. Joining me today is the man who has been able to will himself to get extra beauty sleep over the past few weeks during social distancing, Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, have you been able to tell if your wife has noticed any of that extra beauty rest? Uh, the fact she continues to move away from me tells me that it may not be working. <laughs> hey, man, don't give up the fight, man. Keep, keep working on it. I'll keep trying. But she's still sleeping in the same bed, so, you know, hasn't gotten that bad yet. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, now, we're recording this on April 13th, 2020, and we wanted to take a look at the operation of our human bodies and our human minds. Um, you know, we, we live with these all the time, um, and as time goes on and science progresses, it often seems like in, in terms of the mechanisms of how our body works and why they do certain things and, and, and what's going on in general seems to be less understood the more that is learned about them. So today we wanted to look at, at like I said, sleep and willpower. Um, and we're going to start with sleep, uh, which is something everyone does every day and we know is needed for a well-functioning body and mind. We know there are benefits to getting good sleep, uh, but many questions remain as far as how to get good sleep and what exactly good sleep is. And to date, science can't even really pinpoint exactly what it is for. So Tunde, what does it mean to you? Uh, that something can make such a big part of our life, and we still don't even understand exactly what it's for. Just the beautiful thing about being human, man. Um, <laughs> you know, like I'd say, we could say the same thing about death, birth, right? Um, and I think we we have developed patterns around those specific subjects that that help us deal with it, um, which you know could be faith, religion, yeah. could be you know culture, could be however we deal with with those questions that we're not able to answer. Uh, by ourselves, um, and I think sleep is is kind of falls down a similar pattern. But I guess because because it is feels so common and it's and it's with us and we feel comfortable with it so much, um, I don't think we 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 um, assign any divine or or mysterious or or kind of witchcrafty type of thing around sleep, unlike other things, right? And you've alluded to this in in, in past discussions about something like the weather, that at one point, um, because rain and, and, and other weather phenomena were, it was unknown to humans how they happened, we assigned our own ideas as to how they happened until now in the modern world we understand that, you know, what, what, correct, what, what correct. makes clouds, you know, pour water out of them and all that. And I think uh, we're at a similar point with sleep that we don't really understand what sleep's about um, so we don't we don't really know the causes and, and and I don't know if the cause of sleep if that makes sense but we don't really know what it's about but unlike things like the weather or death or birth we tend not to assign any any type of mystery in the same way to it so well that's yeah, interesting. Sleep is interesting I mean no the 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 that aspect of it yeah religion historically or you know matters of faith were oftentimes used to describe things that we otherwise had no explanation for. I mean, one of the things about being human is that we like to feel like we understand what's going on around us. And so if you don't understand why it's not raining or why it is raining, or, you know, like literally we have societies that would sacrifice virgins in order to, to, to exert control on the rain or to please the gods so that it would rain. Um, you know, with life and, and, and death, you know, we, we assign uh, oftentimes religious-based explanations because we have no science-based explanation for some of those things. And where you can see this in conflict, actually, is once science does come up with an explanation for these things, then oftentimes there's conflict with the religious explanations, with one example being the flat earth or the, 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 that the earth is not the center of the universe, things like that. There was, I mean, people got killed. Yeah. Um, when, when those, those scientific principles, when people had invented telescopes and started being able to look up in the sky and see, like, actually, no, we're going around the sun and there's other stuff, or all this stuff going on. It's not all centered around us. Um, you know, the church killed people, you know, at, at that time for, for, for espousing those ideas. And, and so that conflict is something that, interestingly enough, like, that's an interesting point, that it doesn't seem to be tied to sleep as much, and it, historically even. You know, like, there, there have been... Uh, there has been meaning assigned to dreams, 
Um, but the concept of sleep itself doesn't seem to be something that ever took on a divine type of explanation. Um, and, you know, but as you pointed out to me the other day, this is something we spend, you know, upwards of or could spend up, up to a third of our life doing. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's something that we don't obviously we don't question at the end of the day. We are animals. We don't question why we need to eat per se. We don't question why we need to breathe, why we need to drink water and sleep kind of fits into that. Um, But the other piece on that, we can see cause and effect. We feel better after we sleep, but what, what it does, what's going on, there's a lot more basically that science has figured out as far as even digestion, as far as what your body does with food and different types of food and things like that versus sleep. There's just a lot of gaps there in terms of what's going on. And that, to me, is really what what stands out. Like, the more we know, the less we understand, which is, you know, like a real thing, you know. So um, when you look at it, you know, from a sleep standpoint, what do you find as far as the benefits that we know about? You know, do do you, you know, and you can touch on any of them here and we can, you know, raise some just to kind of get them out in the open. But um, what do you uh, find to be significant about those benefits? Like, there's been recent studies that the brain is able to clear the type of toxins that cause Alzheimer's while you're asleep, like the, the spinal fluid and stuff can kind of wash things out. We know it's restorative for the, for, the, for the mind. We know it's restorative for the cardiovascular system. And that like, if you don't get enough sleep, you can have issues with hypertension and other types of things. Um, we know it's important as far as mood regulation, um, as far as physical recovery, um, all of those things. Any of those, do any of those stand out to you the most as far as like, you know, like this is, Something that you know it, it it means it's very meaningful as far as a day to day existence for human beings. Yes, <laughs> I, I would say all of them. I mean, that's that's yeah. why it's it's. I think it's interesting because, like you're saying, it's such an important part of our lives that that's where I think um, it, it it is a bit overwhelming. Because I mean, look how many things you just named that all are are work well if we give ourselves a our bodies enough sleep and if we don't all those things can break down together on their own or or through one of them breaking down maybe several begin to break down along along those lines so it's um and i think you know even as we're talking here it makes me think of there's different types of sleep right we've all heard of rem sleep the rapid yeah. eye movement um and the idea is that a really good sleep allows one to get to that point so that's why um, you know, you, if you go to sleep, like let's say at X hour of the night, and then you're woken up 90 minutes later, and then try and go back to sleep, and then woken up again, and then that won't that won't suffice either. You you your mind and your body won't feel rested the next day. So yeah. there's something unique about this sleep thing that you have to you have to do it a certain way, and and we all share that as humans, and I think that. Um, you know, it's also something that has evolved with us over time. So our bodies need it a certain way. Um, but the modern world and the pressures we have of work and family and life and, and the stress and all that doesn't allow us always to, to, to have that relationship with sleep that I think, you know, human beings at some point must have had more regularly. So it, that, that's another thing that I think, again, our society suffers from that as a whole, like collectively of millions and millions and billions really of people around the world not getting enough rest um, and all the other things that you rightly mentioned, the negative aspects that come out of that, that during our waking hours during the daytime. So it's the stress, anxiety, um, the, the lack of good health, um, the, the lack of good decision making. Like you said, there might be now these studies that things like Alzheimer's and certain brain diseases uh, could be reduced with good sleep and maybe promoted with, uh, with with not as good sleep. So, you know, it's interesting. Well, I'll tell you, I, I the the short term is where I'll I, I with, with it, my eyes are drawn to more than anything. Like us as humans, we don't deal well with long term consequences in general. You know, like if so, if you if you don't do this or if you do do this, then in twenty years something good or bad will happen. It's just not how we really operate. You know, we operate really on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis. And so the part that sticks out to me the most is really the mood regulation and the, and the hormone regulation as far as, like, how you will be more susceptible. You, like, your body wants more sugar if you don't get as much sleep the night before. Like, this is stuff that happens the next day. Like, you, you have less patience. 
you you can you 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 have less ability to 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 access memory you have less ability to to think quickly at, on a on a extended duration you're over like let's say an hour or so your fight or flight responses still react and still operate but outside of an, what's been being deemed as an emergency, your body just has a harder time functioning. I mean, a large part with coffee, you know, coffee is, is something that, you know, is, is ubiquitous in our society. But one of the things that that does is stimulate cortisol. Your body normally, you know, if, if you're getting good restful sleep, cortisol is what your body releases to wake itself up anyway. And then you drink coffee to shoot that up more and more and more and to shoot it up repeatedly over the morning or over the course of the day. That generally means that it, it, you're, you're not handling the whole sleep-wake cycle well. Now, caffeine's something you can get addicted to, but that's another story. <laughs> but the concept Let, of let's how— Let's not forget the French vanilla and hazelnut coffee creamers. Hey, that, hey that's those, pretty those addicting. Are, <laughs> yeah, those are. Exactly. That's like having ice cream in the morning. I know. <laughs> that's, my, but, that's my vice. Yeah, <laughs> man. But, uh, but so the, the thing that, that really stands out to me, though, is how— Sleep on a day-to-day basis can affect your next day. I mean, and we we make these these like judgment calls all the time. Like, hey, I want to go out and party. I know I'm going to be tired the next day. I'm just going to go out and party because I, I that's what I want to do. And so we make that. We all make that association. Yet on a consistent basis, we as humans oftentimes have a hard enough time. And I know you said there's societal pressures and so forth. Have a hard time of prioritizing sleep in the same way that we prioritize a lot of other things. Um, and so that part is, is just, it's a really interesting divergence from, it's an area where it's, it's oftentimes hard to see how our choices can affect our body on such an immediate, in such an immediate way. Like you can eat a bunch of sugar, like you can be in shape on Monday. And if you eat a bunch of sugar on Monday, you're not going to be fat on Tuesday, you know, like, so, but sleep does work like that. If you, if on Monday you feel just fine and then you don't get any sleep on Monday night, then you're going to feel bad on Tuesday. And so that immediate connection is, is unlike much of what we do. Um, you know, the, the, the closest analogy would be like food. If you don't eat lunch, you're going to be more hungry for dinner. And so therefore, but, but we, we modulate that. Like we will sit here and say, okay, I want to eat. I want to, you know, I don't want to be super hungry the next day. When I was growing up, my dad used to tell, used to tell me when I didn't want to eat something, you eat to stop from getting hungry, you know? And so that stuff kind of sinks in a little bit easier for us, maybe. Uh, and the sleep part, it seems to be something we're willing to disregard, despite the fact that we feel consequences very immediate with it. Well, I think part of it, I mean, I think part of it is cultural, too, because I remember, I mean, I think as we become as society more aware about these things, um, the culture does change because now, I mean, I remember when I was younger in corporate America, you know, 15 years ago or so, people would be bragging about how little sleep they got. You know, yeah, that yeah. was that was the thing back then. Oh, man, I only sleep four hours a night. Uh, you know, I go to bed at 2 a.m. and wake up at 6 and go right back <laughs> at it. You know, and, that, and I remember as a young guy in my 20s, it's like, yeah, man, you know, I guess I got to just crank it out, you know? And it's just like, you know, you got to stay in the office till midnight and you just go do it again. And you're up again at 7 and you're, you're cranking it out. Yeah. And I think, like, it's funny. I don't see, you know, I'm still a corporate guy in a sense. And, um... But I'm not, when I'm around my peers now, I don't hear all that, right? You don't hear people bragging like that. It's almost like you'd be shunned if you were starting to talk like that. Um, and now people, I wouldn't say bragging, but people are more willing to to um, talk favorably, let's say it that way, not necessarily bragging about getting rested and mm-hmm. taking vacations and things that are okay. So I think, you know, if, if we look back to kind of, and now I'll go 30,000 feet on it with the philosophical, you know, philosophical, I should say, side of it is if you look back the last few hundred years, it's really the industrial age mindset, um, the kind of work ethic of Protestant England that came out of that whole kind of, you know, that cultural, you know, remember they were at one point, I think by the First World War, 25% of the world population was under English, some sort of control mm-hmm. because of the colonies or influence. Um, so, you know, the English culture of the Victorian age to the industrial age thing has had a big impact on the rest of the world uh, society. And I think part of that was this idea of work, that yeah. you just worked. There was no, you know, you didn't rest. You didn't, you didn't go have fun and, and relax. That's what the savages did, you know, and, and, and the other people did that. We work. And that, and that became um, for everybody that fell under kind of this culture. And so I think that's one thing that we're beginning, just like we have 
different relationship now with food than let's say 20 years ago in general. And, and a lot of that is, has, has come from kind of some of the discoveries of science. I think we're beginning to enter that phase of sleep. I think you're right that the other areas of our scientific uh, knowledge and the body and all that are much more advanced than sleep. But one of the things you mentioned that, that, that I wanted to pause on was the word choice and the idea, like you said, of the fight or flight instincts. Um, I remember years ago watching a very good documentary on, on National Geographic about stress and one of the main uh, guys speaking was an anthropologist type who studied, um, you know, chimpanzees and b- baboons and all that. And basically, was he was talking about that the fight or flight responses in primates and other mammals are still there with us. But yeah. the different, yeah. but the difference is that you know the zebra when it senses the lion is upon it it immediately has that adrenaline rush. And for probably within one to five minutes, that zebra is either dead or it's gotten itself away. Yeah. And then what happens is the body calms down, the endorphins start calming down and all that, and it goes back to eating some grass after a while. He said the difference, he made a great point, because he said the difference is we still have the same biological triggers and the same fight or flight response because of the secretion of the chemicals in our brains and our and our and our you know estrogen or testosterone our hormones, but the modern world triggers those much more than you know the ancient world would have, because right now you get an email at eleven o'clock at night that's something stressful to you or yeah. a text message that's going to have the same fight or flight response in your body than then would have been chased by a lion 10,000 years ago on, on some plane somewhere. So, so what happens is if we have financial troubles, if we have just issues with our social life, all those things, and that's why we, when you made the word choice, I wanted to stop on that because I think we believe we have a lot more choices than we really do. That's an excellent and, point. And, and what happens is because of the stresses of the modern world, how many people do we know and does it happen to us? I mean, it's happened to me before. I've had beefs with people in business. I've had stresses financially in my life. Those are times, literally, I couldn't sleep. Yeah. yeah. Like you wake up at three in the morning and you, your mind is winding with these things. And then, you know, you're looking at the clock. But by the time you, you realize it's five thirty, six o'clock, you're not going to get back to sleep. Yeah. And we, most of us listening to this, I'm sure, have had some moment like that in your life. And like you said correctly, your next day wasn't that great. Yeah. So I want to ask you this, though. For yourself, you know, like how much sleep do you get or how much sleep do you feel like you need versus how much do you get? Do you, are you happy with your how you do the sleep thing? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do take sleep very serious. And it's interesting. Something you said earlier made me feel like reminding me that is is the inability to recall like memory. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Because I'm in, you know, capital markets, uh, wealth management, all that. I, I remember being young and finding that when I didn't sleep well and I would meet with clients the following day, uh, my brain wasn't functioning properly. Like I would be recalling numbers the wrong way, and that's one thing, you know, wow. I pride myself as being knowledgeable about what I do. And, um, you know, the inability to do calculations fast in one's head, you know, and all that and, and kind of be really in that moment. So, yeah, you know, yeah. for years I've taken my sleep very serious um, just from that standpoint and then learning all the other stuff over time, like you said, with, the, with some of these scientific, um, um, I don't know about discoveries or however you want to call it, but just the unveiling of information um, and the learning of things like our, uh, the, the, the effect on our bodies um, and even things like uh, my physical state, like I've got a herniated disc in my back and you know, I've, I've got some injuries that I've accumulated over the years. Um, it's been playing basketball in college and all that. And it's just like, I, I just know that if I'm well rested, just my body feels better. And like you said, besides my mood and everything else, but all that is intertwined, right? So um, I take it serious. I try and get at least seven hours, if just to answer the question directly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tell people like I probably, I can survive a couple nights off of six, but I couldn't go too much further. Um, and I've even seen studies. I remember watching one of these things about um, the Navy SEALs and that hell week they get into. And they were saying, uh, one of the guys was like, um, and I'm laughing because he was so matter of fact. I mean, he had a straight face because they were, asking, he said, um, 
I guess they, they there's there's a couple nights in that week or for that whole week they only sleep allow the guys to sleep four hours a night. Mm. And you know they come and mess with them and wake them up. And you know I'm sure that helps you train for the battlefield because you don't get a choice. I'm sure in war of when you sleep or not. Yeah. And then they, they but the, what what made me think with the little chuckle was the the person interviewing this guy whoever you know from the Navy SEAL said, well, how come you guys chose four hours? Like why don't you just try and not you know no sleep? Mm-hmm. And the guy looked him dead in the face with a straight face and said, we found that less less than that amount of sleep for a week is fatal. Oh, my God. And it was just a matter-of-fact answer. I was like, damn, okay. That told me, unfortunately, probably some guys died, you know, with them. <laughs> right? I didn't mean, sound like he was speculating. Yeah, right? he wasn't speculating, <laughs> and he didn't try and explain Whoa. it. That was a funny thing. He was just like, we just found it's fatal. Boom. Next wow. question. Like, not even like why or how many guys died. And um, and so that was the interesting thing, um, you know, when you look at it that way, and that's what got me thinking, too. I mean, sleep, dev- sleep deprivation has been considered everywhere as a form of torture as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so clearly sleep is that important that, that to, to withhold the ability for a human being to sleep is considered torture. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that tells you how important sleep is. And you can see it as a function of the, the also the, the brain and how much activity the brain has. And someone once put this to me very well about sleep. It made me understand it much better. Uh, because I understood this example, which was, they said, consider sleeping to the brain like a disk defragmenter program on your C drive on your computer. Yeah. That's how simple I got to be dumbed down to for me to understand. Because he said, um, he said, imagine, so think of a disk, disk defragmenter, like if you had a filing cabinet full of like manila folders. And during, you know, your computer, when it's doing its regular stuff, it's like, at some point, some of those files get mixed up. Well, it's just, so, if you think about it like this, let me help, let me help with that. Uh, if you think about it like this, with the, when, during the course of the day, you have this file cabinet, and as you're getting stuff out and putting it back, you're not reorganizing. Correct. You're just That's putting it out, it pulling out, putting it back, putting it out, putting it back. And so at night, the reorganization happens where you put everything back in the folder where it's supposed to be. Correct. Um, and so yeah. that's the that's the an- analogy of the disc defragmentation. And so yeah. you're, you're drawing that to the brain. And, that, and that's um, exactly a perfect example. That's probably why, in my experience, when I haven't slept well, you know, the next morning, my memory is, is shot and certain things just aren't the same because you're right. My brain hasn't had a time to alphabet, excuse me, alphabetize uh, that filing system again. So when my brain's trying to recall stuff, it's it's a little bit. It takes a little bit longer to to, yeah. to find the right file and the folder and the because my brain's just not organized. No, I, and then they say that they, they like if you plug electrodes up, you know, to like your head, the the signals just aren't as sharp. I still have a strong recollection of how little sleep you get with newborn children. And, you know, and that's built into our experience. And so, and you, you know, you know, part of the thing when I, when I see people about to have a kid you know, or, or something like that, I thought, Hey, get your sleep now. Like that's part of the, the inside joke people told me all the time. And so it's, it's interesting to me that part of our procreation involves sleep deprivation because that's just, that's what babies do. And you just kind of know you're going to live in this zombie state. If you're getting up, you know, every few hours, because that's another thing that, that, that they do from a cause effect standpoint, their research has shown now is you're better off with a, a shorter block of sleep. You kind of alluded to this earlier with a shorter block of sleep than a longer duration that's broken up over and over again. And I'm like, yeah. man, that's exactly what happens when you have kids is you get this duration with broken up sleep. And so that that's built in. So that's going to happen. Our bodies are built to take some level of disruption in our sleep. But, and this goes to the piece, which you said about as far as the, 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 the show you watched, um, talking about, and your example with the zebras, chronic deprivation is where we really go left. Chronic stress is where we really go left. Our bodies are pretty powerful in that they can handle disruption in a lot of different ways periodically. Um, but when it's every single night, your sleep is bad. When it's, you know, when, when you're constantly being bombarded with things that really stress you out, um, then that's where you start seeing the deterioration in health, which, you know, and, and the connection there, it's short term and long term. And, you know, I was focused earlier on how, like, we know the short term stuff yet because it's, you know, we, we, we know the next day later, you know, I guess you don't have to worry about it. It, it blows my mind, though, you know, that 
It's built in. We can handle it. But because we can handle it, that may embolden us to handle it more often than we probably should. Um, you know, so and then one other piece on the control. Another aspect of that, like one, a lot of the emerging research now um, talks about blue light. Like most people have heard about that now where they're saying the, the certain types of light that are in your environment, whether you're looking at a screen, like a, a phone screen, tablet screen, television screen, those give off a lot of blue light. And that part of the spectrum stimulates our brain and makes us less able to sleep, less tired, things like that. Uh, whereas the more orangey uh, lights and then darkness is what our body wants in order to get deep, restful sleep. And so like that's another piece, though, where your decision you don't necessarily like I, I decided to go to sleep early, but I sat on my phone the whole time, you know, and, and then I wasn't able to sleep that you, you feel control because you decided to get in the bed early. But then you, you made another decision that kind of counteracted that. And so where you your point that we don't really have as much control as we think we do, I think is valid a lot of times because for the, until they came out with research that said that blue light was messing up people's sleep that whole time nobody knew they were making a decision that was messing up their sleep now yeah. at least you have some information but i'm sure there's other stuff that we don't know that could be helping or hurting our sleep and you know it's just something that we it, it's us you know the the experience of life you know you learn you live and learn you you try to you know make the best decisions you can as you go and try not to to wreck things too much so for me it's the same it's the same exact same consideration i try to yeah. get up to, you know, I, I try to get like seven and a half, eight. Um, I, I fail all, you know, on that, you know, from time to time. But at least if I fail, I'm at seven, you know, or, or 645 or something like that. But I try to get that. And, you know, it's for me, it's, it's the exact same reason. I can tell the difference in the functioning of my brain, um, you know, and being sharp is something that helps me with my profession and helps me distinguish myself as far as what I do. And so I, I need it. I need, I need my brain. I need my brain. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of it now, you know, every now and again. So, and now one interesting thing I note though with myself is that if I'm doing physical things, if the next day I have to just do physical things, I got to cut the grass or I got to do, you know, stuff that requires just manual labor, I can deal with less sleep than if I have to do mentally intensive tasks. When I have to do mentally intensive tasks, I need my sleep. If I want to do it well, if I don't get it, it's going to, if I don't get sleep, the same thing might take me four hours as it might take me two hours if I got good sleep. And yeah. so, yeah, it's just a matter of just trying to be efficient and effective. Like I need to get this sleep when I'm working with my brain. And, and then the other thing also, like, like it, in the mood part, you're in a better mood if you get good sleep, generally speaking. Um, you, you have less cravings. Um, part of being, if you're, if you're sleep deprived, part of one of the things your body does to, to, to counteract that is demand sugar because sugar gives it quick energy. And so you actually have more cravings for sugary foods um, when you're sleep deprived. So you can manage that better with more sleep. So ultimately, we don't know everything as far as yeah. sleep goes. But I do think that over the last 10 years or so, 10, 20 years, we've been given enough information as far as some cause and effect um, and just some general thing, general principles as far as how things work, that we can make action plans out of it and, and do things. And then always, as we've said many a time before, listen to your body. You know, listen to your body. Like your body is trying to communicate with you through its hormones, through feelings, through emotions, and so forth. And so you got to listen to it. You know, if you're, if you're yeah. depressed, it may be, it may not be just out of the blue. You may be depressed because of a sleep-related issue or if you have uncontrolled cravings, you know, like it may have to relate, it may relate to sleep more yeah. than you think or lack thereof. And, and so exercising the ability to, if you have these cravings, to not give in, so to speak, that's actually the, the, the next topic we wanted to get into is willpower. Um, and willpower has had a really fascinating evolution as far as how it's been thought of um, with people who research these things over the past, um, you know, over the past two decades, let's say. Um, the, the, the big breakthrough, so to speak, a couple decades ago was the idea that willpower was finite, that if you, were, if you consciously try to either make yourself do something or make yourself not do something, meaning exercise your willpower, then eventually that becomes tiresome. It becomes harder to do and eventually you'll break. And so you, it's almost like, you know, in that sense, like a muscle, like you have to use it. Now, recently, that, those, those have been called into question. You know, part of the scientific method is that you continually challenge conclusions. You continue to try to prove things right or prove things wrong. And so recently, the past five, 10 years or so, they've been calling that into question in terms of the studies that, that showed that and showing that, that they didn't really, 
that willpower may actually function more like an emotion, less of a, a like a muscle in the sense that your willpower oftentimes is tied to how you feel generally and how you feel about what you're doing. If you have a task that you're really excited to do in front of you, you may have a lot more willpower to get that done than if you have a task that you're not, that you're dreading doing. Your willpower for, in the same scenario, your willpower for one could be much less than for the other to, to, to complete it or to resist something. Uh, along the same lines, how you feel. If you're tired and cranky, you may have less willpower than if you are well-rested or feeling good about yourself at a given moment. Um, what do you make of, of these kind of competing um, takes on willpower, Tunde? You know, like, what do you, when you see that in terms of whether in your own interaction with yourself and trying to get yourself to do things or not to do things, but what do you, what do you make of that? You know, or just yeah. what you observe in society? No, it's a great, just, I think it's a great follow-up topic to sleep because, like you said, just like with sleep, um, willpower is something that's you know been more of a kind of murky for us to understand and we're starting to get a little bit more understanding of it and and as you're talking it makes me realize yeah <laughs> we i think we all probably recognize that we have more willpower when it's something we want to do i mean when you were talking it reminded me of my my scholastic career <laughs> um, i was a classic c student for every level of school i was ever in um and within that C student average, um, there were certain things I excelled in and got nothing but A's in and other things that I didn't excel in, which is why I was a C average student. Um, and I think as you're talking, it made me realize that's probably exactly the definition of my, of my, my time as a younger person, as a student, was when I was interested in something, my brain wanted to function and I went all in and I got A's and... No matter what the subject was, I mean, yeah, sometimes you can, it was like, history. All of a sudden, you can spend ten hours straight going Correct. through it, and it's like it's amazing how much willpower yeah. you have. And so, yeah, it could have been it's a history topic, could have been you know calculus and math, whatever that I was very interested in at that time, and for whatever reason, because I remember certain year, like when I was younger in elementary school, I didn't like math, but by college, I loved math. So there's also different times in my kind of school career that I applied or didn't apply myself. And so mm -hmm. I think that's a good point about willpower um, that, that um, you know, it's, it's what catches that person's attention most likely you know, in terms of something that, that, they, that they like is most likely going to be the thing that they pay more attention to and, and apply themselves more to. And I think even the, the last topic we just said, something like sleep, right? If, if you sleep deprive me and didn't sleep deprive you and ask us to do the same thing, probably you may go further in completing the task because there just might be more hurdles to my willpower. Yeah. It might not be that I don't want to do it. It might just be that just my mind isn't functioning at, at 100%. And so, yeah. again, willpower. That's a part might... of it too, like how you feel in, in yeah. that moment. If you were stressed, for example, you may have less willpower than well, someone that, who's not that's stressed. That's why I'm if saying that deprived of sleep. Yeah. But willpower might be another thing like sleep that it, it, it's a bigger ecosystem that, that, that develops around it. And I mean, willpower is probably even harder to pinpoint than something like sleep. Because like you said before, sleep is something we do. And it's just, you know, you, we know, know we sleep. do it. Yeah. Like we know, like it's and, like, I'm going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> willpower, like you said, is more like an emotion, like being happy or sad. I mean, we know it's there, but it's like, you know, what the exact kind of edges are to that. And, and, and well, we tie, though, in our in many of our cultures, we tie the value of someone or, you know, like we, we value people based on willpower, like someone who cannot resist the temptation to eat or who cannot resist the quote unquote temptation to abuse drug or something like that. We will, and culturally, I'm not saying you or me, but I'm saying culturally, our society will look at them as having a problem. And then, but the, the, the person who we consider virtuous oftentimes will be the person who can, can, can resist those temptations. One of the things that, that really stood out to me about this whole thing is part of, and I do buy more so that the willpower is more of an emotion, but one thing, and this just shows you how our brains work, and I mean, I'll say this just you know, for, for the conversation purposes, um, a quote from Emerson Pugh, who's a physicist, um, is that if the human brain were so simple that we could understand it, we would be so simple that we couldn't. And so anytime you start digging into the mind, 
you just start realizing that there's so many, that things are connected in ways that it's just hard to really account for. And that's because it's so complicated. It's so complicated. That's what allows us to be smart. But let me, let me say this point. The uh, believing, if you believe that willpower is finite, if you, if you buy that, if you're told that and you believe it, then you behave as if it is finite. You almost, it's like the placebo effect. You make it come true in your own head. So you say, okay, I have, I've done this diet where five days I've only, I've exercised willpower and I've only, I haven't eaten this. And so therefore on the sixth day, I'm exhausted of my willpower and I'm going to eat the thing I didn't want to eat or the thing I, I wasn't going to eat. That phenomenon is about the the willpower piece believing that the willpower piece is finite it, you know it, and they've tested that and, and if you tell somebody that their willpower is finite that's how they will behave that part is fascinating to me you yeah. know like where I, you know I thought it, of that it, as your like conception of it defines it yeah i thought of that as like a placebo almost but yeah. obviously it's not a pill but it's almost like a placebo suggestion or or implant in the brain where if you tell somebody something then they're going to kind of react that way. Willpower is something that is defined differently for all of us. And I think that there's a danger in assigning, you know, because you could say, well, well no, someone, I, I, there's a specific, you know, definition yeah. of willpower that I would like to stick to as far okay. as just, you know, like either, you know, b the ability to do something that you, you want to do to continue doing something that you want to do or that you think you should do or to resist from doing something that, and this is more momentary, you know, like it, this is the willpower in a momentary situation. When you get into the long run, um, it can go a lot of different direction. It oftentimes seems to come to how you perceive yourself with that. Is this something, is a standard that you hold yourself to? Um, you may be inclined to exert more willpower if you think you're supposed to be good at something or if you think you are, this, this is where you should be or this is what you should do. Um, and so from that standpoint, the willpower, like the willpower to me, the, 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 it was a revelation to me to, to hear it be described as an emotion because it does seem to ebb and flow based so much on what's going on around you. One of the things in the studies that they mentioned or that, you know, when they study people with high willpower, for example, one of the things that came out in those was that the people who, who rate as the high, having the highest quote unquote willpower put themselves in situations or to the extent they can, le they're less likely to put themselves in situations where they need to use willpower. And so when I look at that, I, I, I come back to the, the same question as far as control. You know, do you think, how much control do you think we have over our willpower, so to speak? So, and I'm, what I mean by that is that if you set it up either by through planning or, or just subconsciously to where you won't, run into the same temptations, um, is that something that you then will come away saying, okay, I have a lot of willpower because I didn't even have to resist this actively. I resisted it passively. Or are we in a situation, are you, are you looking at it differently where you're saying the willpower itself is to be able to put yourself in a bad situation and not do the bad thing? I don't know, man. That's a great question. I would say this, uh, <laughs> this, this is, um, debating whether I say this, but I might as well say it. I was going to say that one example of the not putting yourself in situation would be an example why I don't go to strip clubs, you know, <laughs> for, for, uh, for lack of a better example. And it, the thing is, because look, I'm a man, I have testosterone, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and so if I were to go to a strip club, let's say twice a week, that's a hundred times in a year. Let's just say if we take 100, there's a percentage that, you know, your boy's going to mess up here as yeah. a married man. So you yeah. know what I do? I attend strip clubs zero times during yeah. the year. So in that sense, do I have so much willpower that I can, you know, stay away from women and all that being a married guy? I mean, obviously, yes, the answer is because I can choose not to go there. I can choose not to, you know, try and hit on every woman that walks by me on the street. Um, but I'm sure... Like anything else in life, there would be an extent to that willpower had I put myself or if I put myself in constantly in certain situations, right? Just like an alcoholic that is now clean and gone to AA and is no longer drinks. You know, and I've been around. I've got friends of mine who've, who've, who are through full AA guys. And, you know, at be the beginning, they'll tell me, Tune, I can't even have a drink. You know, I don't have a drink around me. I just can't. 
But after a few years, you know, I can have a beer or something and they're fine. But I don't do it like every time I see them, right? Like I'm sure that if they went to a bar every single day as as a recovered alcoholic, eventually they would break down because there would be something in their in their life that emotionally at some point they might just say, ah, screw it, you know, and they might lose that willpower being in that moment. Yeah. So to stay away from alcohol is the is the key. And so for them, and so and just like with my example, right, as a married man, you know, just not putting yourself in certain situations helps um, helps you, helps you, um, you know, avoid those, those kind of issues. So I think your, your, again, your, your question probably is answered with, with that balanced, uh, answer again, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that anybody put in front of a certain situation that needs willpower to, to maintain discipline, to avoid going down that situation, let's just say, because it could be food, it could be any kind of vice, could be anything. At some point, every human being will break down because, again, like you said, it depends on what emotional state they're in, right? Yeah. Like, like the alcoholic in the in the bar example, you know, the recovered alcoholic. What if they just had the shittiest day ever? What if their child and their parent died on the same day and they just, you know, and then they walk into a bar? Yeah. They, they might not just have the guardrails up. What if my example of the strip club, let's say I had a massive blowout fight with my wife and then I decided to go to a strip club. Maybe my mind is in a place where I'm like, ah, screw this, you know? And so I think there is no, something to be said. No, no, I was going to say, that is yeah. exactly what I thought. Like, the, it seems like you, those odds, like when we play, when you look at statistics and let's say there's a 3% chance that you'll do something wrong if you, you know, if you show up at the bar or if you show up at this place, then yeah, if you go a hundred times, you know, by the statistics, you know, three times out of those hundred, you would do something wrong, but we're not static. We're not dice, you know? So the statistics don't account for the ebb and flow of our mood. So it wouldn't be that if you went a hundred times that eventually you would you would slowly just wear down and eventually like oh well you know I, I I didn't do it the last fifty times so you know what I'll do it this one time and then I'll have have fifty more times that <laughs> I you know won't I won't have to do it again it's not it, it would be whether your circumstances at any given moment if you went that often would be conducive for you like you said to not have those guardrails up and that to me is again that that's where like that's why i found it so revelatory when you look at it as an emotion it's not that if you keep doing things that tempt you over and over again that you slowly will whittle away at your ability to say no what it is is that some one of the days a couple of the days based on what's happening around you you just may not feel like saying no and yeah. so if you're in the scenario then then those days when you're vulnerable then the your quote unquote willpower will just be weak, and oh, but the same scenario. If you're feeling great about yourself, and you know you got a good night's sleep, and you know you got some money in your pocket, and you go to the same temptation, you know, like maybe it's not phasing you, you know. So and now that separate, we should we should just to, to be clear, we should separate out. Particularly when you're talking about like alcohol or any type of substance, there's a chemical dependency aspect that deals with those as well, which also alters your state of being. So you know, like it could it could prime you to be in a bad place by, by avoiding it physically or chemically. And it could put you in a place where you crave it, you know, and where you, it, it reduces your willpower. And that's a part of the thing where, yeah, we can realize now that all those things aren't moral failings, you know, from the sense that stuff chemically affects you and how your yeah. body works. Well, that's so a great point too, because, you know, on the other side of that, you could say taking things like Adderall, for example, for kids that are studying, right? Yeah. That's a, That's one way to, you know, kind of boost the willpower in that yeah. moment. And yeah. so it's, a, you know, chemically. And so that's where it got me thinking, too, about this more balanced approach where maybe we need to look at these things as just as just not as as 100 percent one way or the other way, but just how do you balance them within the, the moment that you're in? Because think about it, too, like we talked about, my willpower was different for math in elementary school versus college. Well, yeah, it's, it. it's, it's what you're working on and then how you feel at the moment. Because that was yeah, the other thing. So it's, like it's like where you having, are as a person. Un, having, you know, un, unable to, to exert willpower in a given moment doesn't mean that you won't be able to exert willpower in the next moment. Correct. Um, you know, another thing that was interesting, and I, we can close up with this one, was just with, you know, in studying people who either self-profess claim to have a, willpower, a lot of willpower or can demonstrate in various scenarios uh, more than average willpower, so to speak. Uh, one of the things that was very notable to me was that 
the there's a mental trick that is played, and that this may be something that you, if, if depending on who you are and how you're wired, you you can access. We're just that people who exert a lot of willpower oftentimes will convince themselves that they don't want whatever the temptation is. Um, and, like, and they'll play this mental game with themselves. I don't think this is conscious. I think you, know, you can do it consciously, but I don't think this is something that has to be conscious, though, where you can say, oh, I don't want that cupcake. That cupcake is probably nasty. I don't like this part of it, or I don't like that. Or, you know, I see that woman. Oh, I don't want that woman. That woman, you know, look at her, you know, look at her elbow. I don't like that. Like, <laughs> and so you, 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 it's something, it's almost like to create a fixation um, and we do this in our psychology accounts for this a lot of times when people will, you see it politically, you see it in a lot of different things, um, sports teams, when it's your rival, you know, somebody who you don't think you're supposed to cheer for or like people will invent reasons, um, or emphasize things that may not be that serious or that important or even hypocritical things they overlook for people they do like or for teams they do like and emphasize those and convince them that, that, that the, uh, the, the thing that they are trying to resist is not virtuous or is not clean or is not pure or is not desirable. And I found that to be amazing on this, on the, when it's happening in the unconscious in particular, where you know, you're actually actively doing this psychological game on yourself and it makes it more effective for you to be able to to resist the temptation, so to speak. Yeah, um, well, I think, yeah. but it, but remember, it also works in 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 two ways like that. Some, it, you're right. Some people will harden themselves, and the sad part is, some may never come back from that. Right, like you're saying yeah. about yeah. the opponent. If if, and I think we all feel that. That's why sports is such a great analogy because, like, I'm born and raised in D.C. Yeah. yeah, I hate the Cowboys, bro. Yeah, yeah. I, and there's no reason. Like I recognize that, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no reason for me to hate the Dallas Cowboys. They're a great team. They always have pump out good teams. They won more than the Redskins in the last thirty years. But because at such a young age, I was indoctrinated to not like the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Seriously, and that's that's an easy example I make because it's it's kind of not emotional. So imagine taking that to certain you know cultures or races, certain religions. You know that that now as an adult, you don't like certain people or groups or religions or certain foods. I mean, you could, it doesn't have to be always something so serious like, like a religion or a race, but it's just that we're hard, we get hardwired at a young age. And well, but it's, 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 it's fungible though. It's fungible. Like the, the being, ha having it happen at a young age is a good way to illustrate it. But yeah. the fact that this, our brains are wired to be able to do that could be used to your advantage is no, kind of the point what I, I wanted to bring up. Say is, that, that there's the other side of it where in some ways we get so hardened that we can't look at it. Like, like I don't even know. I understand that my hate for the Cowboys is irrational, but I don't really care to check that hate, right? Because it's yeah. also not a serious subject for me. But there's other times where it's kind of that forbidden fruit, quote-unquote, where someone will assign that kind of stuff, um, that, that, that so-called discipline or willpower against something, but their subconscious is craving it so much that they can't, they can't really stop to control themselves. So an example would be someone like Jim Baker. Uh, remember when we were kids, the televangelist. You know, we see this a lot. Or with um, Ted Haggard, the National Association of Evangelical President, who then, you know, he was sniffing meth off a guy's butt. Uh, remember, like in 2004. And I think, because religion has a good way, unfortunately, of, I think, putting people in some of these boxes sometimes emotionally because someone might have an urge naturally that they, that they need to fulfill in a sense. Um, and like we're talking about chemicals, right? If I'm a man and, and I have a certain level of testosterone that maybe is a lot, and my chemical makeup is I, I need to be satisfied through just having women, um, but if my life path you know, takes me to being a preacher or a pastor of a big church, those two don't jive well, right? So, so I might have a tougher time dealing with my willpower, and that's where we find, um, and it's not to pick on religion, because this is everywhere um, it happens. It could be, you know, guys in finance that are supposed to be stewards of someone else's money that end up running Ponzi schemes, right? It's just sometimes there's, there's again, both sides of that. Well, just, where, but in the context of willpower, yeah. I think it's still instructive, though, in that the, you, the, you see it, you can see it, it's illustrated in religion where you create these boogeymen. And the goal of that 
is to create, to give people will, but you, you make a demon out of something that you don't want people to do in order to try to fortify their willpower. And so they're, they're consciously trying to, it, to put that in people's minds to help them with their willpower. And, and so the, the fact that people, some people will do that automatically is if to, to, to fortify their willpower is interesting. And then as you point out, the fact that religion or other areas uh, other areas where you're trying to uh, obtain compliance with people with some level of, uh, of action, of some level of conduct involves that same concept where you're trying to take what it is there may be a temptation for and make it evil or make it yucky or make it something that you don't want. Just shows like, and the technique may or may not work. It's still a technique though. It's a technique in the same way that trying to avoid scenarios where you have to exert that willpower, avoid them often because if you do put yourselves in those situations, someday you may feel weak. You know, yeah, so yeah. those are all those are both techniques to try to fortify that because it's something that can ebb and flow as we are humans, you know. And and and, and so I mean, I, I the takeaways though, you know, are from that are to, to try to take control mentally of the concept of, of willpower, not that you can control everything about it, but just that, one, it's, it can be detrimental to you if you subscribe to the idea that it's finite because that will actually promote in your mind that once you've exerted a certain amount that you should then go back on it and not exert it anymore. But also controlling understanding you can control the things that you can apply willpower to and based on what you're applying your willpower to, it, it, you can have more willpower if it's something you're passionate about, something you enjoy or something you look forward to and vice versa, you can actually psych yourself into not wanting something or that, that's a technique as well um, in addition to just avoiding those scenarios. So, you know, I think we can wrap it up from there. Um, it's point. definitely, you know, I, I like doing this from time to time, and I know you do too, where we can kind of take turn, turn the, the mirror on ourselves as humans and kind of look at the things that get us, you know, to, to make us us and, and things that we don't often think about but involve our, you know, that, that are invoked, I should say, in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so from there, uh, you know, we'll, we'll close this up. Uh, we definitely appreciate, as always, everyone, um, you know, taking some time and, and enjoying this, uh, these topics with us. Um, you know, definitely make sure that you uh, subscribe. You know, please rate us, you know, review us. Tell us what you think. Um, you know, we always appreciate the feedback. And, you know, so until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Ogunlana. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one.